you are on the Game Trail Podcast. All right, guys, we're having it's most. This is kind of like a emergency bro, uh, podcast because um, it was brought to my attention by Ryan with uh, A3 Trophy Hunts, the guide in Arizona and New Mexico about uh, SB. Was it State Bill three twelve? Right, Ryan. Is that yes, the sir. name of the bill. Yeah, and I, I didn't know this was going on. <clears throat> I think a lot of people um, don't know about all these bills that our legislators try to pass locally, not just here. I'm sure you've seen the thing going on in Utah with the cameras and baiting. Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know, on what's going on throughout the, the West. And um, this last bill changes a lot of things. You know, it's not just affects uh, the outfitters, it affects um, a lot of things, right, Ryan? It's not just... Yeah, I, you know, I think it affects residents and non-residents alike. I mean... Uh, there's so many things on the table with this SB 312 bill, uh, you know, and it's and it's unfortunate. I mean, it's 241 pages long, and that's a lot to sift through. Uh, you know, and it goes, I believe, it goes on the floor February 29th. Um, so we'll just kind of have to see, you know, how it goes. But we need some folks on our side, whether they're residents or non-residents alike, because, you know, I feel it's kind of a sheep in wolf's clothing. Um you know, as a New Mexican resident, of course, they're going to want more tags. It just sounds great. But the amount of tags that you're actually going to receive if this passes, 1% or less. Uh, and I don't know if that's worth all of the, you know, the stuff that's projected in this bill. Uh, you know, I don't know that it's going to benefit residents all that much if you look into the whole bill. Yeah, yeah. And what, what uh, people don't realize, too is, you know, I was looking on Go Hunt and they have some really good information. People don't realize that the hunting industry in New Mexico generates, and this is tax revenue, is $51 million. And I'm sure Ryan knows, I know a lot of people that guide, I don't know, I know one outfitter from work, but we didn't get, you know, he talked about, uh, this is a whole other separate issue about the allocation of antelope tags and how they're going to do that when they changed that rule a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, guys make a lot of money when they do their out when they out there guiding for the outfitters, and I'm sure Ryan can contest that. These guys do real well. I know what guys at work will take off, you know, all hunting season uh, to go and guide. And some people in Mexico, I'm sure it's the same for Arizona. This is kind of like fire season for wildland firefighters. is a is a season, but within that season, you know, you, you bust your butt. But by the end of that season, you, you know, you've made enough money to. Um, to to survive the rest of the, the the non-season if that makes any sense yeah i mean absolutely it's a supplemental income for for 90 percent of the guides that i have in new mexico and most of them you know have full-time jobs but they're they're seasonal jobs and they're able to take off the hunting season and and that's how you know they make it through the rest of the year they rely yeah. on income from guiding and it's you know it, it's a big part of you know, my life and their lives and, and the rest of the guides and outfitters in the state of New Mexico. Yeah. And, and there, you know, some hunters out there in, the, in New Mexico, and I've heard the gripe is there's a couple of things going on, on, you know, I'm sure you, you probably hear this Ryan too, from locals in New Mexico, like they're not drawing tags. Well, that's just what's going on in the whole West is it's gotten more popular, which is good. You know, a lot, of, a lot more people are getting into hunting. So yeah, 
your chances of growing a tag are starting to go down. You know, I know in New Mexico, every single year, we hit a record of people putting in for tags. So yeah, it, it, it lessens your chances of drawing a tag. And I, what I hate about this bill is that it, it's trying to take away from, the, from you guys, the outfitters, who employ locals in New Mexico, and it draws tax dollars from out of state. And you know, these are the people that go through outfitters, you know, they come out here on good hunts, good draws, and they spend a lot of cash in New Mexico. And I know this. I, I mean, I've, like I said, I've known a lot of, of uh, guides, and they tell me, you know, the guys that come in from out of state, and these aren't just regular people. Some are, but these are, some of them are, you know, this is say, they're on the wealthier side, and they, they spend a lot of money in New Mexico. And that 5% decrease, you know, that's not going to change the difference of someone drawing a tag or, or not drawing a tag. What you, the outfitters in New Mexico weren't allocated a whole lot of tags to begin with. And it's not guaranteed that, right, Ryan, that you wouldn't get every single person that puts in through you doesn't get a tag. It's still a lottery system. It's not guaranteed that you're going to, everyone that applies through you is going to get a tag, right? It's still, you know, they still have to actually draw the tag. It increases their chances because they have to give a certain portion to the outfitter, but there's more than just one outfitter in New Mexico that's registered to uh, pick up a tag, right? Absolutely. I mean, just on the Gila alone, there's already, oh, oh, there's over 80 registered outfitters just on the Gila. <laughs> and um, have, so, yeah. <laughs> You know, and your chances of, of, of drawing a premier tag, you know, uh, whether it's 16D or 16A or whatever it is, is is 3% or less, even in the outfitter pool. Yeah. So, I mean, we might have, and this is just an example, uh, this isn't like a true number, but I mean, we if we had 500 people put in for 16D, we're lucky to get one. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's just, it's not easy. And if I had to rely on the draw and the outfitter draw alone, uh, it would be, it would be tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's no guarantee. Yeah, there's no guarantee. And, you know, this, even as a resident for those units that you just said, 16D, it's still in like the four percentile. And that's what people don't realize. I'm like, if you put in for premier units, you know, 16D, uh, 6B, um, I'm not sure which unit, uh, what is it, the one up north? Um, thinking of the, 55A. 55A. If you use those as your three choices as a local, the chance that you dry one of those is not good. No, yeah, it's three percent. Yeah, you could take all the non-residents out of the equation, and you're still going to have, with the amount of people putting in as hunting grows, like you alluded to earlier, uh, you know, your chances are still going to be minimal. I mean, even if you took all the non-residents out, you're, there's no guarantee you're going to be able to go hunting every year in the no. premier units. It's just, it's just the way it is, and yeah. that's how it is in Nevada and Utah and Arizona and Wyoming. I mean, it's, it's oh, unfortunately it's that way. Yeah, it's that way, and maybe you know more because you you guide in, in a state you guide in two states and one state that has a point system, but you know, from being an avid hunter and watching Arizona seems to be like, and Utah are just insane with the point system. Um, in New Mexico, we're fortunate, at least we're a lottery system. So you could, I know there's guys, I'm pretty sure you know some too. I know, uh, an individual that's drawn, um, off range Oryx four years in a row. And I've been putting in for Oryx for almost 10 years and still haven't drawn it. Yeah, and it's it's the lottery. You could get lucky every single year, and in Arizona, you might have to what take ten point ten years, fifteen years to draw a nice good tag. Where in New Mexico, you could be lucky enough to you know, there's guys that are out there that could draw it almost every other year or every year sometimes. You know, yeah, you I don't mean, have that point system where you know 
you're not going to go hunting for 15 years <laughs> for, for an no, incumbent unit. You know, until they restructured Arizona's system, it, it was a one-and-done type state because it's, you know, it's 20-plus points to be almost guaranteed a tag in a premier unit. And, heck, by the time most people get it, they don't want to wait another 21 years to go back to that unit or more. And oh. so uh, it's just tough where in New Mexico, I mean, I know residents who've drawn the premier tags, you know, three out of four years, which yeah. is obviously lucky. Uh, and I don't know how they do it, but, you know, and then I do know residents that I – that are buddies of mine that still haven't drawn a premier tag and, and I feel bad for them, but yeah. you know, it's just, it's the luck of the draw. It yeah, just it is, is. Yeah. Look at the draw. And you said, this podcast is probably going to cause some controversy, but you know, there, it was funny as they, these two senators point kind of the blame on the outfitters, so to speak. But in reality, as no one's looking at the bigger picture and, and I think personally it's, the landowners that are muscling game fish and the state because I did some numbers last night before I did this podcast with you. Um, I took unit 12 and unit 13. Um, unit 12, I'm not sure if you got out there in unit 12, but unit 12, um, this is all public information. So I looked at how many tags you can draw. Uh, this is between, this is in unit 12. You can draw a bow, rifle, muzzleloader. You got uh, resident only for the cow hunts. So this is for elk. Elk, they give 455 tags to the public. The landowners in Unit 12 get 700 tags to the landowners. And the amount of land owned by the public is, uh, well, I should say the almost 40% of the land in that unit is public. So if we want to say who's got the tags, it's the private private landowners that, are, that they have a lot of tags. And that may need to be heavily looked at. Like, do they, is it necessary for some of these tags, um, that many tags to go to the private landowners, you know? And yeah, yes. and, and go ahead. I, I understand what you're saying there. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff in 12 is ranch only. There's not a bunch of unit wide tags. Yeah. Uh, you get some of those bigger ranches and, you know, they're private. And that's that's okay. I mean, a lot of the unit-wide ranches in you know throughout the state are are minimal acreage. Yeah, and they're like two, three acres, and you're yeah, like, it, you know, it's it's so I, I understand, and I, and I think with what some of these legislators are trying to do is they're trying to kind of pit us against each other, the residents versus the non-residents, and by 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 making it sound like it's going to benefit the residents so greatly, you're going to get so many more tags, and we just need to get the non-residents and the outfitter pool and the landowner tags out of there, uh, which I think it's it's kind of like I said, it's 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 a wolf in, in sheep's clothing because. We take all that away, you know, taxes are good. The tag prices are going to go up for residents. I mean, they're going to lose. I mean, just think about this. For example, you know, if, if this goes through, they're estimating four to six million dollars uh, of, of in losses in the outfitter industry and, you know, the rural communities that depend on these people drawing tags or coming hunting or buying landowner tags every year. And that's that's a big chunk of money. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Somebody's got to pay for that. Yeah, someone has to pay for it. And um, occasionally we draw unit fifteen, which I'm sure you're familiar with. We draw yes. out there, and we have some some yeah, good friends. We have well, they're good friends. We have two good friends, three good friends out there that live out there almost full time. And um, we start talking with them, and then you start meeting other people. You know, a lot of them are employed by outfitters, you know, for cooking at, at base camp, um, scouting, 
and doing all sorts of stuff and keeping just always out there in the field um, waiting for hunting season to start. And they work for the outfitter, for you guys. You know, and that, like I said, that's a supplemental income to ranching. There are a lot of more ranchers and then they do that on the side because they're always out there and about. And so they, they, they're always keeping an eye and, and doing stuff, you know. And I, I think what it is, it comes down to the old saying of divide and conquer. I think that's what they're trying to do is divide and conquer. And because it's, it's not just um, the outfitters they're going after. They want to change the whole, whole name of New Mexico Game Fish. You know, and I, don't I think you saw that's, that. the, that's the main point because uh, if they can do that, I mean, it's going to cost over a million dollars. Just, oh, yeah, to, just to change the name. And once you change it from Game and Fish to uh, Wildlife Conservation Commission, that <laughs> changes the whole attitude and the structure of the whole department, which in turn makes it more of an anti-hunting group versus, yes. you know, the protection of our hunting rights. Yes, it, I thought, now, you know, yeah. and that's what it is. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to shed hunt anymore without a permit. Uh, yeah, that's what that is. Able, you know. Pick, yeah. you're, you're, they're going to close down hunting units ter- certain times a year to protect the spotted owl. Uh, you know, if you look at all the groups that are actually backing this thing, uh, most of them are anti-hunting groups. Um, whether people agree with me or not on that, all they have to do is look it up. Oh, um, you, you can look up both these senators on Facebook and you can just peruse through it and go, these aren't hunters. These aren't guys that are that have our interests whatsoever, residents and non-residents. They have no interests in the hunting industry. I think, like I said, by, by changing the Mexico game fish to wildland or was it, um, was it wildlife conservation, wildlife conservation that if people got to understand the psychological point of that, that, that means exactly what it says. They're, they're, they're changing to conservation it has nothing to do with hunting. Yes. Does, okay. does game fish go out there and take part of conservation? Yes. But overall they're there to enforce the, the gaming rules of hunting when it comes down to the bread and butter and what they're doing is they're playing the smoke and mirror game of changing the name and then once the name changes then they can say oh well we're gonna you know people re- got to realize that a change in name is a huge deal especially what they're changing the name to and not, not just here and other things too but they're, they're doing something else there's more to it than just changing the name because they want it to sound good they want they want it to be something else they want the department to be something else and, and i think that's the goal here yeah, the ultimate goal. Sound beneficial for the residents. They'll have more residents on board, and you know, it, it, no matter which way it goes, uh, it's still not going to be fair. Somebody's going to be upset, and oh, yeah. Yeah. there's that's just you know the nature of the business in all of the states. Not everybody's going to be happy, but if you look at what they did to us last year, you know, with the outfitter pool, uh, we lost over 180 tags just in the outfitter pool last year due to the rule changes. Yeah, so. I mean, every year they're chipping away at outfitters, non-residents, and even residents in certain cases. And so, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to – I'm not totally against, you know, residents having more tags. But at the same time, I kind of have to stand up for for my business and, you know, it's what I do to survive out there. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I hear the argument of, well, residents spend just as much money in the woods when they draw a tag as non-residents do. Well, Yes, they get food. Yes, they get fuel. Uh, they'll probably get hotels from time to time. But when you've got a, a non-resident that draws a tag and hires us to take them out uh, and go hunting, you, you know, there's airports involved. There's rental cars. Uh, now you're paying for 
uh, food for two people at restaurants, uh, you know, the guide and the, and the hunter. Uh, there's so many different aspects of it. And, you know, from the economic side of it, the amount of money that would be lost uh, just in, uh, you know, tourism type money is going to be a big, big, significant change to the economic structure of New Mexico. People don't think that that's going to happen if, if this rule passes, but I can guarantee you that people will will will, will see a, a dent in their income if if this darcher you know passes yeah no you're i mean I think you're you're on point you know um me and brian we always like to go up to clayton we have a we we buy if we don't draw we have a i don't know if it's going to call it a connection but we've become good friends with a, a rancher out there and we get tags from him he kind of saves them for us and he knows that we would kind of wait for the draw because we want to draw some of these more covenant you know um antelope venus where there's some bigger antelope <laughs> not that there's not a big antelope in clayton new mexico it's just are you going to be on the right spot you know but um right there's a lot of them though <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them that's for sure but what's interesting is the both we've done it three years now this might be the fourth year depending if we draw or not but three years and going up there to clayton new mexico if it wasn't for the antelope hunting industry up there during that short period of season, I think it put, I would be highly surprised if a lot of, even the hotels, if the, if it wasn't for the antelope hunters, if it put them in the black, you know, absolutely. Um, they're, they look forward to it every year. Yeah. They're, they're packed. Um, the restaurant that main, I can't remember the name of that, uh, barbecue restaurants on main street over there is just packed all the time during antelope season. And then, um, you know, what's convenient is over there. I mean, literally right across the border, the antelope we shoot, I drive right over, because, you know, it's hot during August. I drive right over to Texline, Texas, five miles from Clayton, and there's a, a meat processor right there. And it's crazy because you'll stand in line with 15 other people to drop off your antelope, and it's all day long. And they turn over it quick. When I go there to go pick it up, there's still 20 cars in line, trucks, you know, dropping off antelope. And I'm, there's 20 of us on top of that picking up antelope. So it's not, it's a regional thing. And it just, it's, it's crazy to see how much, um, industry is created from the hunting industry. You know, I, I mean, well, you know how it is in some of these small channels. I mean, they, they go and they don't stock the ice like that during the, the non-hunting season, but they stack tons of ice, you know, and they got to buy it. It's got to be put it, pushed in, you know, like, like I said, that the outreach, of the hunting industry when it when the hunting season in New Mexico starts up, I mean there's a huge it affects everybody. Like I said, from the airports out to the to the rural communities. hundred percent. It you know like you said, it's probably gonna you know, there's gonna be folks that disagree with this point of view that I have, but and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to it, but uh, the truth is the economic impact is gonna be significant. Uh, whether yeah. they want to admit it or not, I mean from from the guide all the way all the way down to the hunter. And that, you know, we're talking cooks and, you know, even like the village reserve, which is in the Gila. I know that place is, 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 is a ghost town for the most part, <laughs> you know, uh, until hunting season. And then it turns into a, you know, a small New York city. It's oh, yeah. just, it's, it's crazy. You know? It's, yeah. it's, and these people rely on that type of income to sure they jack up their prices a little bit, but they have to, because that two months or whatever it is, uh, really sustains them through the, the rest of the year during yeah. the slow times. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I sit out there in unit 15 Kamado, it, it probably, like I said, turns into a little mini city out there that, you know, easily, I mean, everything's packed. I mean, the, the dinner hall, the, the breakfast hall, you see, they're just packed. You can't, there's nowhere that's not, not getting packed. And 
you wait in line to get gas at the gas station, the, whether there are two gas stations in Kumato. Um, yep. Apache Creek, we go down there sometimes to get ice, and I mean, either they're out or you can barely get it. And then you got guys that have refrigerators so you can hang up your meat so you don't have to drive all the way back. And, you know, for us locals, you know, drive all the way back to Albuquerque to drop off meat and then go back out, especially if you're out there with, you know, a group of hunters, you know, um, it makes it very convenient. And it, it, it's crazy the impact that that you have out there in the hunting community and how much money and how much infrastructure goes into place to uh, have hunters have a good hunting experience and give them everything that they need, you know, for, for sure. And, you know, I, I have to agree, you know, it is turning into somewhat of a, you know, white collar sport. I mean, it, it used to be a blue collar sport, but you know, with the price of tags and, you know, just even a, a, a draw tag, everything's gone up great, you know, exorbitant amount over the last 10, 15 years that it is expensive uh, just to draw a tag and go hunting. I mean, gas is is expensive, food's expensive, everything, camel, binoculars, it's all gone up. So it does cost a lot of money to, to go oh, do yeah. a hunt. Yeah, and uh, I feel, and people don't realize all the stuff they've added on here locally, you know, and they're complaining about this locally. You know, I'm lucky I'm in a family of four. My wife doesn't hunt and my kids, you know, nine and five. So I don't have to worry about them putting them into the hunt. So it's just myself and I can put in for everything. But I have friends that have their wife that hunts, their two sons that hunt. And just for elk and deer alone, puts them up over $1,000 in tag fees just for elk and maybe one deer. And because oh, they can't afford absolutely. to put everything that they want to put in for because they're putting their whole families in. And they can't afford to hunt every single thing that they possibly could draw in New Mexico. Maybe they do want to put in for off-range or on-range orcs, but they're like, eh, you know, my family wants to hunt elk and I can't afford to put in for that because I already put up so much money for just elk and deer, you know. For sure. I mean, and you think about the non-resident, you got a family of five. Uh, you know, I've got a family that's applying all their entire family and they all want sheep, ibex, oryx. They want they want it all. I mean, you're talking $50,000 in application fees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that money sits in in the bank for New Mexico Game and Fish and collects yeah. interest. Yeah, and we, you take that, you know, with the non-residents across the board, and they generate a lot of interest off that money. Oh yeah, well, um, and I didn't look this up, and anybody can fact check if they want to. Um, I have a good friend. I won't say his name because I don't want to draw any attention to him. But I have a, a friend that's, I would say, midway up, or maybe you know, the higher end of the of Game and Fish, and. From my understanding is New Mexico Game of Fish, for people that don't understand this, they are self-sufficient, meaning that the state doesn't give them any doesn't give them any money, allocated them any money out of the state budget. Everything that they their their facilities, their trucks, their uniforms, everything that Game of Fish does is through licensure. That's how much money they make. And they're able, they're they're the only New Mexico agency that is self-sufficient. They don't draw money out of the the state budget for people that don't, don't understand that that's what he was telling me and if you think well, about it like you said when, when you got to pay it up front and there's a reason why we have to pay it up front now but that money all that money i mean i we one time we spent time <laughs> we tried to estimate how much money they said on just on elk tags but to sit there and pound all these numbers out for all the game species and the non-residents and the residents and yeah mexico game fish is sitting on a huge bucket of money collecting a lot of interest until the draws come out and that yeah they have to return the money back not all of it obviously but that money that's sitting there 
generating a lot of interest. And people don't think about that. There's, the state is making a lot of interest off as they're holding on to this money. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, if this bill was to pass, I mean, that's approximately going to be, you know, 260 to $390,000 lost just in sales tax on, on the hunts. So, I mean, that's a big chunk for a, a, a company that's self-sufficient, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and somebody's got to make up that difference. Yeah. And I, you know, if this passes, it's got to be the residents. It's the residents. Make it up. <laughs> you yeah, know? And that, that, yeah, you said it just perfect. Who's going to suffer? The residents of New Mexico that love to hunt are going to suffer. You're, you're going to see, and they, they creep it up. They'll, they'll throw on an extra $5. And the next year, they'll throw on another $5 somewhere else. And pretty soon, you're like, oh, my God. I remember, you know, I'm just this hypothetical, like, Cassia was throwing out a number, $30 in licensure fees this year. And then two years later, you're paying 50 because they've crept it up because they need the money. And then, you know, I was thinking about this last night, you know, with gas revenue being way down and because of the, the, the economic shortfalls because of what the pandemics caused, you know, the state is looking everywhere where they can squeeze out extra money. I guarantee it. I mean, you can't tell me between gas revenues and no one coming to the state, what I think tourism was down by like 40%. And worse, and you know, in Mexico, we're a state that's heavily dependent on uh, tourism and that's major hits to the economy. And, they have no money now. So they're trying to squeeze it more money out of a state. And nothing against, I'm, I was born and raised here in New Mexico. A lot of Mexico is blue collar workers. We don't make bad money. We don't make great money, but they're just squeezing more money out of us and making it, making it harder to live in this state, you know? And oh, for sure. It, this, it, we're getting, it sounds like we're getting oppy, but this, this is just the ripple effect that it has that people need to understand that it has a ripple effect. And like I said, with the, the whole, you know, when you read the, the portion of the bill that talks about you can't pick up any piece of an animal, I'm like, really? You can't even pick up, a, it'll be illegal to pick up a rib. Yep. You know, yep. and what's interesting is my son is into dinosaurs and and I know they're not dinosaur pieces, but if I find like a, a jaw or something like that, I'll, I'll pick up a jaw when I'm out there shed hunting and having some fun. I'll pick it up and I'll take it home and he, and he loves it. He has his magnifying glass out there and he's looking at the teeth. That'll be illegal now. The state will consider that illegal. And like I said, they'll make it illegal. And then they'll say, okay, now you got to buy a permit to pick up any of that stuff. $25 now, whatever it is. You know, Colorado does it. I know Nevada does it. Um, they're going to probably make you take a test. I think in some states you have to take like an online, of course, it's a rink-a-dink test, but they'll make you take it. And then you have to pay your $25 fee to pick up a shed, which, as you know, Ryan, in this state, we've been picking up sheds probably pre-European people coming in here. You know, Native Americans were using it for ceremonial type uh, um, situations and stuff like that. And I know they're going to use the excuse. I already know where, where they're going to say why we don't want you picking up this stuff because they're going to say it's where rodents get their calcium from or whatever. <laughs> and I find that hard to believe because in New Mexico and in all Western states, guys have been picking up sheds for decades and we still have plenty of rats we still have plenty of mice we still have plenty of rodents i see tons of um squirrels out there i don't buy that i don't buy that for one second and then like that you know how it is when you hunt no one takes you know me and my friends we use the gutless uh method and so you're telling me so by picking up sheds i'm taking away calcium from rodents but yet all the spine, everything else I just left, 
doesn't help them get their calcium. So this argument, like I said, the spotted owl and all this other stuff is just, it's just excuses to play on the hearts of the, of other people throughout the state and the country saying that, well, you know, that's true. They're messing up the ecosystem, you know, and that's not what's going on. <laughs> it's just you another know, it, way of generating money. It, it is. And, and not to get off topic, but I mean, it goes back to, you know, the wolves. It's just going to benefit the wolves in the long run if this does get changed to the wildlife conservations. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's just going to be harder and harder. And once they start taking everything away, you know, bit by bit, piece by piece, pretty soon you're going to look back and go, oh, my gosh, it's all gone. Now, yeah. And it, by then it's too late. You can't get it back. Yeah. Like the deal in Utah with the cameras, you know, where did it stop at that point? If they take that away, then... Who's to say the next year they don't go after scopes? You can only have a certain magnified scope. Um, you can't have a high-powered rifle over... You, you can't shoot over a thirty out 6 or something. Who knows where they could stop? I mean, it could just keep going and going and going and what they can make not or make it illegal. And I, I'm sure you know of Ryan Carter. He had a pretty good spiel on the whole camera thing. But and it does kind of relate to what's going on here in New Mexico is... No one has a ferret. It's not giving one anyone any more advantage than any over someone else, you know, by using an outfitter or not using it. I used an outfitter a long, long time ago on a tag that I that I really wanted to maximize on. I had shots. I think I had four shots with them. I didn't hit anything. That's my own fault. I mean, they can only do so much. I mean, you know this as an outfitter, you can only do so much. You can help them out and. And there was days that we didn't see an animal. And that's just hunting in general, you know. Um, you're not getting an, uh, you, you know, I wouldn't say you're getting an advantage necessarily, but it's, it's, it still comes down to hunting. If you start looking at the numbers for bow and rifle and muzzleloader, it's still, it all averages out to like 28% harvest rate still. Yeah, yeah some, and that's, that's just elk in general, or, yeah. or that doesn't say anything you know, big or giant or, you know, a certain score. That's just, you know, a harvest success. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I do it for a living and, but it, you know, because of time, I just don't have time to go scout in Utah and, or Nevada. So if I was to draw a tag, I would dang sure probably hire an outfitter just to increase my odds. Now, granted, I know there's no guarantee, but you know, it just, and that's, the same boat a lot of these non-residents are in. They just don't have the time to get away from work and come down and spend two weeks ahead of the hunt and and, and scout. And if they're going to be gone from their family and, and from their job, they they want it to be successful and you know beneficial to them. So they they try to take advantage of hiring an outfitter, a good outfitter, to you know help them succeed in the in the field. Yeah, I think you just nailed it, Perry. Like, you know, if I were to draw a kind of tag in Arizona or Utah or Colorado. I would use an outfitter. I mean, um, like I said, I don't have the time to go up there. I don't have the logistics of, you know, yeah, I have a three-quarter ton truck, but I don't have a, a camper, you know, and food, everything else, and the homework that you guys put into it when you hire an outfitter. They're doing, the outfitter does that, takes that that stress off of that, that part, so hopefully you have a more enjoyable, yeah, it doesn't guarantee success, but... It, it helps take that stress off and make it more enjoyable and maximize that tag that you that you draw that you've been trying to draw and that that comes back to New Mexico too and there's a lot of people that put in 
that go through you guys that you know when they do draw a 16d tag um yeah they want to maximize that tag you know it may have been five six seven years before they got to draw that tag and now they're like sweet i drew a covenant tag and this is my chance and i want to take i, I want the greatest best experience i possibly can to get out of this tag because who knows when you're going to draw it again right so, for sure for sure. I mean, that can be said for, for sheep, for Ibex, for, yeah. for on-range Oryx, for the premier deer tags. I mean, it is just darn tough across the board. And, you know, if there's just so many aspects of this thing that if it did pass, I just I think it would eliminate probably. And this is just speculation, of course. But, yeah. you know, it's going to eliminate over half the outfitters in the state of New Mexico. Um, which, you know, residents would probably be happy, uh, you know, happy about, but, uh, you know, we're not all evil. Um, oh, I run no. into plenty of people in the woods that, that are hunting on their own and, and try to help as many people out or stay out of their way. You know, if we do it ethically and correct and respect everybody's rights and, and space, we can all get along. And that's supposed to be the name of the game. We're, you know, we're hunters. We're supposed to be one group that gets along and, Somewhere along the line, it got sideways, and and I think they're feeding into this, and and yeah, these legislators are are trying to pit us against each other, yeah, yeah, um, like you said doing. earlier. So uh, we just you know got to be careful because <laughs> yeah. this is this is going to yeah. be something we're going to regret. Yeah, you have to, and like I said earlier, it's conquer and divide, and you know even myself, I go back and forth between not not really outfitters. The problem that I usually have run into are landowners. Some landowners. I don't know if you have this problem, but man, there's some landowners that, and even them need to cooperate. If they want uh, people to to help them out, these ranchers, you know, they have dry seasons and well, this year with the, this crazy blizzard that we had, I'm sure there has to be winter kill off from this thing with the cows. If they want us, if, you know, if they want the general public to help them out, they got to do, you know, you have to go back and forth. You know, I've, I've ran into landowners that, you know, especially in the checkerboard areas, that's where you start getting into fights, you know, in the checkerboarded areas, you know, and yep. some, some landowners I ran into think it's their land. I'm like, hold on, do you own the grazing rights? But that's it. Okay. I can still hunt on this property. It's not yours. <laughs> okay. And, um, they'll put, they'll lock the gates up to the BLM properties. And, and basically what I'm getting at is kind of like what you nail is like, we can't be fine with each other. We can't be doing this trial stuff. We have to work with each other and be respectful with each other um, about the land. I think as a, I'm not a huge landowner, but if I was a landowner and I, you know, and I have to have access, give access to, you know, this BLM property. Yeah. Just meet If you want to meet a guy out there that's hunting be like, Hey, can you just make sure you get the gates locked or, you know, not locked, but shut. So the cows don't get out. And this is where the private property is at. And there's the public property. If everyone worked side to side with each other, we wouldn't have the, the small stuff that, uh, these guys feed on and work against us with, you know. Um, you know, and I, I agree, and I, I definitely see that point, and I deal with a lot of landowners every year, and, and you know, I had land, I buy unit-wide tags, you know, uh, uh, from these, these 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 ranchers that own smaller properties, and so I've had a couple of them contact me this year and say, hey, would you mind sending the deposit for the tags because uh, we need to get some feed. It's dry out here. I can't feed my cows. My stock is suffering, you know, so yeah. I'll, I'll send a deposit. And I would say, you know, more than more of the, there's more good guys out there for landowners and there, there's always going to be some bad apples for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, the unit wide thing, you know, 
those tags, I, I get that the residents feel like they're getting slighted um, because of the price of those tags and they're set aside only for uh, the wealthy. And to a certain extent, that's true. Uh, but in all fairness, you know, residents have just as equal of opportunity to buy those tags as the non-residents do. And, you know, these ranchers are just like some of the other people, you know, they get a tag or two tags a year and, and the price has jumped up from, you know, it's tripled or, or quadrupled over the last five, 10 years. And yeah. I, I agree, it's insane. Those prices are just absolutely stupid. But <laughs> Uh, we don't dictate the prices. No. You know, the landowners do. Somebody yeah. is crazy and wealthy and says, well, I'll give you $15,000 for a 16D tag or I'll give you 20. Well, then that justifies the next landowner saying <laughs> yeah. 20. Yeah. Well, so-and-so got one. But, you know, that's gone through the roof. And, and you know, there's a, there's a, you know, a line a mile long of guys wanting to buy those tags. And, and you can't really fault the landowners for saying, yeah, I'll take however much I can get for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I guess what the hard—I want to call it a gripe. What's hard is when you don't draw a tag as a non or as a as a resident. You know, I've been fortunate to where it takes a lot of footwork. It sucks, but you can find tags for reasonable prices. You know, and um, but I think that's what sucks is trying to find a tag if you don't draw, especially when the prices are driven up. And I know it's market driven. It's, it's supply and demand. You know, that's the demand. That's what what it goes for. But that's where heart would. If I were to have a, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a gripe, just, it's kind of hard to, it just makes it tough when you don't draw. You're like, okay, what do I do? You know, I, I really sure. would like to hunt. Um, and then you try to find a landowner tag and holy smokes, man, you're just like, yeah, there's cow tags. There's guys I want a lot just for a cow tag. You're like, it's a cow yeah. tag, man. It's not, I'm just hunting this for meat now. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you could buy a, a cow a cow for that price, you know? Yeah, you could actually go <laughs> a livestock cow for a yeah, beef cow. Yeah, you can. And for that um, price, I, I get that side of the coin for sure. And it, but the problem with this, you know, dismantling the Jennings Law, which was put in place, I think, in '97, is you know it just gives these landowners uh, uh, a way to keep from competing with the wildlife. So yeah, they can either put up a fence and keep the, the you know the critters out, or they can be allocated a certain amount of tags and do what they want. They can hunt them their, themselves. They can give them to family members. They can give them away or they can sell them. Yeah. And I think if we take those tags away, if they do go away, um, and I don't know if you've looked at this, but you know that's over 600,000 acres that we're allowed to hunt because of this unit-wide system. And yeah. if that goes away, these people are going to lock up their place. And and sure, there'll be residents that'll come along and say, "Hey, can I have permission to hunt your property?" Or non-residents, and they'll say, "Yeah, I want seven thousand dollars trespass." Yeah, trespass fee, kind of like Colorado does. Yeah. So I just don't know that. By you know, that's a big chunk of property to to to, to shut down. Because yeah. uh, I know a lot of landlords would say, "Forget it, then I'm Forget not going to." Yeah, they don't want to deal with the pain. I'm not going to keep up my tanks that I built out here for the for the elk and the deer. I'm not going to, you know, supplement feed them just so I can get a tag. Uh, I'm just going to let it go and lock up my property and just make sure I take care of my cattle and my horses and, and you know, that's it. Yeah. What do you think about, um, because there is this, like, to me it seems like there's, there's, like I was reading you the numbers on how many tags that private landowners get. I'm not, I'm saying I'm not faulting for them, but at one point you're like, because you can't find the information out before. Because it seems like it's disappeared off of Game Fish, but it used to be able to, me and my Brian were looking it up. Um, it showed how many tags they allocated, and I'm kind of picking on them, but I, I don't care. 
Um, I'm sure you know the Floyd Lee Ranch up on Mount Taylor. Uh-huh. They uh-huh. were at one point, if you counted all their bull tags, they were allocated like well over 125 bull tags. And at one point you go, okay, that's a little out of control. You know, do they need that? Because Unit 9, back when I was, I'm 43, when I was younger, that was a premier, you know, elk unit. And now it is not. Like no one puts in for that unit because it's just shot. It's just done. And not saying that there's not elk there. It's just not what it was 20 years ago. It's not even what it was 10 years ago. Um, no, it's horrible. And we know the ethics. I know the ethics of the Floyd Lee Ranch. They've been fined plenty of times, you know, for using helicopters during hunting season to push herds back onto the ranch. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm, just, I'm using him because he's the bad apple that gives all the other ranchers a bad name. But I guess what I'm getting at is, there's a system I saw, or and I think they, I know they still use it. I saw it on a on a hunting video in uh, Utah where, you know, the, I'm not sure how aware of you that are. What they do is they have a system like, okay, they go, let's just take a number, a 10,000 acre ranch in Utah, and they go, okay, we're going to give you 20 tags, but that's now a subunit within a unit now, and they go, okay, if you want tags, we'll give you 20. Ten of them are going to public is going to the public they're going to draw and then they get to choose to hunt uh 10 people are going to allow to hunt just your ranch um and i know ranchers here in new mexico will be like whoa, whoa we don't like that i don't like that idea but what um utah does is they go okay if you want to take part of the program we're going to help you not only they help them with keeping maintaining tanks fences uh you know converting um cattle tanks over to uh, solar and all that stuff. So they help them improve their property in exchange for that ability to allow a ham not a lot, but a handful of guys to hunt a premier, uh, nice chunk of land to hunt on, you know? And I don't know how the ranchers feel about it in, in Utah, but uh, the video I was watching was with the, I can't remember the name of their game fish. I was called game fish for now, but it seemed pretty receptive. I don't know sure how that would go over here in New Mexico though, but what do you think on that? Well, I, I think it's always beneficial to have both sides sit back and look at refining the system. But once you start saying dismantle, destroy, get rid of, then everybody gets into the defense mode, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but if it would benefit everybody, uh, residents, non-residents, uh, landowners, instead of just one side of the aisle – that would be absolutely fine. Uh, I got no problem with that at all. I, I'm always up for adjusting things if it's yeah. going to benefit everybody. But if it just simply destroys it for one group and benefits another, that's not going to do anyone any good. Um, no, no. And, and, and I understand, and I don't pay a lot of attention to the private ranch tags because I know there's a lot of them out there. Uh, and I think a lot of the big ranches, you know, depending on who owns them or who leases them, some of them are managed well. They might get 20 or 30 bull tags, but they might only hunt 10. Yeah. Um, and the unit-wide tags that I generally buy, you know, a, a rancher gets one. And, yeah. you know, he, he has a piece of property that, you know, has elk on it from time to time, but, you know, I can hunt it, residents can hunt it, anybody can hunt it. It's not just for one person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I just don't, I don't know enough about the, the actual private private uh, to to make sense of it or to come up with a logical explanation on what would be beneficial for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without yeah, getting just, in trouble. Yeah, that, yeah, that was just me and my friends when we're all sitting and hanging out 
and we were talking about you know what Utah does, and I was like, man, I think that'd be really better. You know, like I said, when we all come together and sit down, okay, okay, you know, you have a really big ranch and you get so many tags. Is there a way we can strike a deal where some people to get more tags to residents can hunt your property? But here's what we're going to do for it. It's not obviously for free. We're going to do this, this, and this. And I kind of, I don't know. I just I liked what they were doing in Utah. Of course, it's just from a, a perspective from watching a YouTube hunting channel, and is with a person that's allowed to. They got to his wife drew a tag on one of these ranches, and it seemed like a, a pretty good situation. It, it reminds me of uh, the antelope in New Mexico, um, where we buy our tags at. Um, super good rancher. He tells us. You know, here's, you know, he's changed his style of how he grazes so that way he can maximize his grass. So what he tells us, like, his rules are, and they're very simple rules. Here's where you can camp, and they're good camping spots. Um, don't drive on the grass unless it's to retrieve an animal and have a good time, you know. It, make sure the gates are shut and not everything else. It, it, and, it, and we get along really good. And when we're out there, yeah, I'll blast a coyote, you know, and help him out because... These guys have huge problems with uh, coyote problems out there taking their game or taking their uh, cows and stuff, you know. But I just wish there was a. That's, I guess that's another issue. We're not even close to that part. We've got to deal with this, uh, making sure this bill gets watered down or just this doesn't make it through the system at all. Yeah, but to touch on that, I mean, you guys have a good relationship. Respect the land. The landowner respects you and allows you to hunt on his place, and you guys are cohesive. There's always going to be the bad apples that get permission, and they talk a good game, and then they go in and they leave the they leave the gates open. There's yeah. four apples running around with three legs, or what? You know, they're just yeah. it's not. There's no <laughs> ethics involved when they get permission. Now, that's only you know one out of a hundred, but yeah. it's the one bad one that you're going to hear about that leaves a bad taste in the landowner's mind, and and that's what's going to make him jaded against all hunters in general. Yeah, yeah. And going back to working with each other, um, there's an area that we like to hunt um, deer, a bow, and through social media, it's funny, we've actually, this, he, he owns a small, small outfit, and this, and like, it goes back to outfitters, like, he's a small outfitter, so if he's not big, he's got his foot in the door, um, he's got mules to pack out, um, I, I believe he even goes after, you know, one of the big, his big things is he's got dogs. So, you know, he chases lions and stuff like that. Um, what was interesting was there's, you know, I'm sure you've seen it like, uh, I think it's a forester. So build like little horse pins or ho- and cow pins everywhere, you know, throughout. So you can, these guys can ride out their cows or even put your horses in when you're out there camping and stuff. Uh-huh. And we were camping right next to a newly refurbished one and I recognized the guy's truck, but we never saw him. I can't, and I wish we could have talked because he's such a nice guy on social media. And we don't even know each other. And he saw, you know, because we're firing, we have a union sticker in our window. So he knew where we were at because I saw him. He hit us. I was like, hey, are you out here hunting? I was like, yeah, we are. I was like, hey, you know, can you watch my mules? Because he's using the pen to keep his mules um, up. When they got a game down, he grabs the mules and they get out. Or he did a lot of retrieval for guys that, you know, um, that shot game and couldn't get, you know, just is way in there. So he, you know, he has mules and he'll pack them out for you. Right. And so, yeah, we were like, well, yeah, we're camped right across the, right across from him. We'll keep rising. We, we did, we kept our eyes across from it. And then there was a point cause the, the deer hunt is so long for the bow hunt up in this unit. Um, we actually went home for a couple of days and he's, he was up there the whole time and he kept an eye on our campground or our uh, fifth wheel while we were gone. And I think that's where people need to realize if we, 
help each other out um, in that same sense, then it betters everyone, you know? Oh, for sure. Like you're saying, it, it just, it makes everything better and we're unified and stuff like this can't get through, you know, if we're all unified as one. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, no matter what you say on this podcast, I mean, some people, it, you know, it may open their eyes a little bit, but I think for the most part, you know, you'll have the people that are, well, I don't, I'm, I support it no matter what, you know, change yeah. my mind. You, you can you can throw every argument at them that you can think of, but it's just it's not going to work. But there will probably be a few that, you know, may see a different perspective and say, well, you know, maybe if I take a step back and just kind of look at all the facts, uh, I can see how this may not be as beneficial as they're making it out to be for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's my big concern is I just I. I I don't want people just to see that. Oh, hey, look, residents are getting more tags. Let's let's send it through. This is going to be the best. Yeah, and uh, then they don't get a tag. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like you said, the percentage is so small. I'm like, it's not going to increase your odds of drawing a tag anyway. And it's funny. I got friends, our acquaintances, that uh, they get so inflamed that me and Brian, uh, we draw tags. You no, know, it comes down to luck, and we're pretty lucky. We we usually draw something every year. You know, we don't draw everything that we put in for, but we draw something. And all these guys don't draw anything. And then I'll ask them, like, well, what'd you put in for? And they'll put in for the 16D first rifle hunt. And you're like, oh, yeah, they only give, like, 70 tags. And, and like, if you look at the draws, like, 5,000 people put in for it, man. Now, granted, in order to draw the tag, you got to put in for it. But you also got to be willing to take the sacrifice that you probably aren't going to draw it. And uh, there's an elk unit that I put in for every year. I know there's probably a zero chance of me almost, it's not zero, it, it's, the chances are super slim, but I, I'll never be able to hunt this this uh, this premier unit if I don't put in for it. Right. So my first choice, I put it as my first choice, praying that I that one year I will draw it, and I'll be so excited when I do draw it. And then the other ones, I try to be more, you know, strategize-wise, like, okay, you know, what are the better chances? Do I know the unit and all that other stuff, you know? And it, and it still doesn't guarantee me a tag, nothing's guaranteed. And there's times that we don't draw, and that's fine. You know, you just have to go, okay. Um, but we did draw this one, so let's put all our eggs in that and maximize that hunt that we did draw, you know. And I think sure. residents have to just realize that, that they're not guaranteed. And just be aware of when you put in a first, a second, a third choice, and you're putting all premier units that give, let's just use this. Say you put in for 16D, and then you do a 6B first rifle hunt and then up there in the uh, 55 yeah you there's a good chance you actually may not draw a tag (laughs) for a while while, at least (laughs) because you're you're putting in for some really hard units with not many tags you know so some people just have to understand i think need to those people need to take a step back when saying i'm not getting tags well what are you putting in for and what's your ultimate goal you know yes everyone not everyone but for me yeah, I do want to draw a premier unit, but I'm not going to put all of my hunts as premier units because I do I do want to go hunting, so I don't <laughs> I don't I don't uh, I don't put all premieres. But right, you know, you and just have it's to. Same way with with me when I put folks in, you know, I I tell them, you know, like this year we're kind of possibly looking at a less than average horn growth season due to the lack of moisture, you know, oh, all. Yeah fallen into most of the winter and so most people want to just apply for the home runs and they realize they'll probably won't get it um but that's just part of new mexico it's not like you gain a point or lose a point or you even have to put in uh there's 
there's no drawback to not putting in for New Mexico versus oh, no. like I tell people that all the time. You know, <laughs> it's a lottery bad. system. <laughs> so, and that's the beauty about New Mexico, and I think that's why it's gaining more uh, attention from non-residents, especially during this pandemic when you've got so many places like Canada, you can't go to Africa, or you yeah. know, international hunting is way down, and so people yeah. want to. You can't go to New Zealand. <laughs> Yeah, you can't they, they want to go and say, "Listen, uh, I'm going to throw my name in the hat." And it seems like the last couple of years, the applications have just gone through the roof. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. which is great for the the hunting side of things, but it, it's it's frustrating for for residents uh, and non residents alike because it, it's just going to drive their chances down. But it's 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 why we do it. It's just part yeah. of the system. Yeah, and um, we were talking a couple of weeks ago or a month is I can't remember talking about, but like. You know, Game Fish puts out, you know, after the draws are out, they put how many people put in for the draws. And for the residents that are listening, I'm sure, and I'm sure it's the same thing for non residents, is looked to now as a spot to go in because everyone's equal going in. You're all equal. Yep. No one has an advantage over anybody else. And, um, but the numbers keep going up. So, yeah, five years ago, I'm just throwing out a number, 100,000 people put in for the licensures. Last year, they had, 275,000. So yeah, your odds keep going down and down. And then you look at Arizona, well, look at the population in Mexico. We're barely over 2 million people. So yeah, uh-huh. you know, you don't have as many hunters putting in. So your chances are better at drawing. But if you live in Arizona where you have almost 7 million people living in, yeah, your chances of drawing are going to start going way down because you just more population, you know, and people need to realize that too is population, how much population is in the state. And then how popular is the sport? The sport has gotten more popular. Um, not just because the people want to go hunting. People have really got into, you know, a lot of guys at work that we've talked to all of a sudden, like, yeah, I put in and I drew. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't want to convert you to a hunter. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> they, they realized, like, hey, you know, because, you know, organic is really big. And I'm, and I'm all for it because um, I don't have any land to raise a cow. Um, I'm sure you know this from all the game hunting that you've done. When you look at game meat and you look at meat meat from any of the grocery stores, there's a difference. You know, the meat that's natural is not pink. (laughs) That's not natural. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of natural, but it's not totally natural. It's more of a brownie pinkish color, you know. And it's funny, um, at work, we, with all the game meat, we can't eat it all, but sometimes, sometimes we bring it to work and treat the guys and we'll, and we'll, we'll do ham, smoked hamburger, elk hamburgers or antelope. And people that don't know anything about game, they look at it and they're like, is there something wrong with this meat? I was like, no, it's just game game meat. It just doesn't have all the preservatives stuffed in it. I mean, this is right. 100% organic. And I don't want to get too gross, but I don't know about you. When I eat like a, I still get meat from the stores. I'm not worried about it. But when I eat game meat off of a, you know, a hamburger patty, off the smoker, versus uh grocery bought i can tell between the taste and then the way my body digests the meat i don't know about you but i I hand my bite has an easier time and it sounds kind of strange but it's i feel like it's easier on my system for some reason i don't know why well i can understand that i think it is there's just so many things shoved into these cattle and chickens and pigs Uh, yeah you know it's supposed to be organic and no gmos i still think they have to uh put some of that in there to to get them to grow and and make money the sale yeah and and that's understandable well what's interesting but what i was getting at that portion of people has grown like organic and you know if you go to um whole foods and you see um 
a pound of elk and you see the price that they want for it, you're like, holy smokes, man, they want like, you know, $10 for a pound of elk. And yeah. these guys that are really into organic at work started realizing this and they're like, wait a second, I can put in, you know, guys that I talk to, I'm like, okay, what are you looking to do? If you just want good organic meat, put in for the New Mexico cow elk only because there's no reason to, to put in for the bull elk if you don't want a bull, if you're just looking for meat, go for the meat hunt that, you know, I'm sure, you know, as a non-resident or as a resident only cow, you, there's a good chance you're going to draw that tag, you know? And, uh, Oh yeah. And yeah. It, and I mean, I get non-residents that ask if there's a tag that they can put into, to draw and can we at least put in for a cow? I mean, oh, no, yeah. you, you're not allowed to, <laughs> you know? No. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can in Arizona, but you can't in, uh, in, yeah, in, in that Mexico. Sucks. but most non-residents don't want to put in for a cow. No, I usually don't. <laughs> <laughs> I do see some of the the big um, uh, ranch deals. You know, they'll say like, uh, you know, buy buy a bull tag and we'll get you a cow tag for you know your your kid or something like that. And I see kind of, those yep. kind of deals going, which is pretty cool. You know, yeah, like, for okay, sure. I'll buy the the really low expensive or low tag for the kid. You know, so you can shoot a cow elk and. We'll get that down, taken care of, and all our stuff. But um, I was going to ask you. This is kind of switching gears here. What do you, did you notice a, a difference from last year? Because last year um, we had a good snow season, but it warmed up so fast. I saw uh, a lot of creeks run dry, springs run dry, wallows that were dry, tanks run dry. Um, did did you guys have a problem with? I'm sure Arizona and New Mexico both were in the same boat. You know, did, just were so dry. Did you find that taking a big effect on on your your hunting this past season? We did, we we did, and and you know, I focus. I'm I'm 100 percent in in New Mexico, so I spend all of my time in New Mexico, uh-huh. and where we hunted, yeah, it dried up quick. I mean, obviously yeah. you noticed and we didn't really have a monsoon to speak of. So springs started drying up and most of our good springs and wallows, they were dry by, you know, the second archery season. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, the springs that never dry up. And we had, in my opinion, we had a really good horn growth year. It was good horn growth. It was above yeah, average. We I did notice that. That our... blew up. But I think what happened, and of course, this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. but what cows did come into estrus or just, you know, uh, I, I think a lot of those elk focused around the water that was available. And if you got too many, too many guys in one area and they just started smashing each other. And that's where we, we did get a lot more horn breakage than I've ever seen. Oh. <laughs> um, and I, I don't, I can't attribute to, to brittle horns. Uh, we killed some, some heavier bulls than we've ever taken before. I think the horn growth was solid. I just think it was more intense because you know, they couldn't spread out and, and rut in areas where there was water everywhere. It was, the water was just confined to, to certain areas, and it seemed like all the elk that we were hunting that were actually bugling and rutting uh, were all around, you know, water sources that actually had water. And it, it was... Yeah, that makes sense. We, um, we drew a unit that we really, really like, and um, it was weird as it's southern Mexico, but it uh, it's not in the Gila. <laughs> um it's on the opposite side. <laughs> I don't want to okay. give away the unit, but I'm sure people can figure it out. Um, <laughs> if they really like think about like, okay, what's a unit to hunt elk in that's not right. Gila, you know, but it's further Eastern in more of Eastern Mexico. Um, they didn't have as bad of a problem with the monsoons. For some reason they got just enough where there, 
some tanks were dry, but the, there was water in more tanks than I than I was expecting. Um, okay. But what was interesting is, yeah, you hit a couple ridges that rutting was just straight out on. Like there was straight out rutting, bugling, fired up, smashing. You know, you could hear it all going on. And then we'd go somewhere else just to try it out, and there was no bugling. Bulls were still bastard up, and as the crow flies, we're like maybe three miles away from where bulls were going crazy. And another portion, they were just still um, bastard up. Well, of course, it's the first bow hunt, so it can be kind of finicky on that one on when it happens. But, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, on the second archery hunt, mm-hmm. uh, I saw bulls together, white-horned uh, big bulls together still in winter country. Not a cow around them, acting like winter bulls. Uh, it was just one of those weird years. And I'm not too sure, and I'm not a biologist by uh-huh. any stretch, but I'm not too sure that some of these cows just didn't come into estrus this year because it was so dry. And I think they have that internal instinct that says, you know, I'm not going to get bred this year because I may not be able to support my calf. That makes sense. Now, I, right when you were saying, I was like, oh, yeah, that, now starting to click. <laughs> you're right. I, you're, I think there's some instinct in there that says don't, don't go in estrus because if you have a kid, if you have a baby cow, it may not survive. And granted, they're tough as nails. You know, they've been oh, through yeah. droughts, been through severe winters. But last year was really, really dry during the rut. And it was one of the worst that I can remember during the rut. Uh, and I don't know what that's going to do this year. It depends on who you talk to. Uh, you know, you listen to some guys talk and the horn growth is going to be fine because we got these back-to-back-to-back storms and we got some significant snowfall up high. But I feel like the elk went into winter stressed, bad. And oh, yeah. They, went, yeah. they went into survival mode and... You know, this is going to help, especially in the burned units where it doesn't take much moisture to get that new green feed to grow. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think maybe the horn growth will be better uh, in units that have some burn, uh, recent burns versus, you know, the thicker units that, you know, it just doesn't have the the, the high protein type feed that would come up uh, when you have a burn. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot so, of sense. When guys are asking me or gals are asking me what you know, what do you think of horn growth this year? I, I still think it's going to be too early to tell, but I'm I'm leaning on the side of below average. For yeah, this there was a year we set up cameras, and it wasn't a great year um, for snowpack. It was a good year for monsoon. I, I wouldn't say exponentially. It was just a normal monsoon, which is pretty good in the southwest here. You know, it definitely greens things up and gets things wet and and so on. There's green grass. <clears throat> um, but on the game cameras, we didn't draw elk that year, but on our game cameras, man, some of the elk were just massive. They were still growing, you know? Right. Um, whether they were brittle or not, I, I don't know. A lot of the areas that we have cameras on uh, are more of a, a summer range than they are a rutting range, so I'm not sure if they're all busted up towards the end of the winter or the end of the, the rut. Um but I always wondered about that, you know, like does how how much does it affect the growth? You know, I've always it's always been a million dollar question. I'm sure you get that a it, lot. It is, <laughs> and I, I I honestly, you know, everybody has their theory, but I think we need the good snow in the winter to ensure good fronts. I mean, in New Mexico, generally you see really good fronts on a lot of these elk, and then they start to peter out as they get towards the back end and short beamed. Yeah. Um, and I think that attributes to, you know. A, a drier monsoon or or not an early enough monsoon because i think in new mexico especially the units we hunt we need that that moisture in in may and 
April, May, uh, and the first part of June. Because if, if we have a really good winter, that's great. We'll have bulls running around with great front ends, good thirds. But we really need some some April, May, and June moisture to get that back end to, to kick out and finish the way it should. And, you know, if we don't get it, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We end up with bulls that have, you know, 20-inch fronts <laughs> and 12-inch force and a 45-inch main team. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, it's interesting year after year. And, you know, because we had such a good horn growth year last year, uh, I don't know if it's going to offset. And if a bull was 370 last year, if he's only going to be 370, or if it was such a good horn growth last year, and maybe he'll back off significantly and be a 350. Or, you know, yeah. if everything plays out and we get a lot of timely weather, uh, maybe he'll grow a little bit. But I just I just don't know. I, I, I wish I, I took a course in biology and I understood it all. But yeah, I don't uh, think they understand it. <laughs> I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I would agree. I don't know if anybody can actually predict what the horn growth is, is going to be. Um, from year to year based because there's so many factors there's genetics and there's age and you yeah. know all of that comes into play yeah yeah and they're so you know in the the premier units in any state the reason they're premier units is because they have those units have it all consistently yep. you know they have water even when water is bad they still have water they still got green grass um and so on and so that you're, you should hypothetically still get good growth on these animals because they're in the areas where they that's why they're premier units. <laughs> yeah. And now, I, the ones I, on the edges, yeah, you might see some, some uh, differences there, you know, where it's a little bit more dry on the side and some, you know, some of the units aren't that skirt the, the premier units, you know? Yeah. And I've seen bulls, you know, I think age is a big factor. I, it, you know, if I can say anything positive from last year with all the horn breakage, you know, we let some big bulls go because they were so broken. It wasn't going to be worth shooting them. I mean, uh, so now they get another year of age on them. Uh, and if we can get some moisture, they're, they're probably going to be big bulls. I mean, we've got some really big bulls that we're trying to get on the ground and we just haven't been able to do so. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know, I, I, they're still going to be big bulls. They're not yeah. going to go from 390 down to 330. That's just yeah, not no. going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but well, I don't know that they're going to be 430s or 440s. Yeah, yeah. Well, that goes back to the, the whole, you know, the law that they're trying to pass over there in Utah, you know, about the game cameras. And you just said just now, you see a lot of bulls over and over again that, that make it through all the seasons. How, I mean, not, who knows how they probably find the craziest, nastiest places to live. Who knows what they do, but it doesn't give you this huge advantage. It's more of a, so you're not having to put on all the miles on scouting. It's just seeing what's out there, you know, I'm not sure how you yeah. use them for your advantage for us. It's more or less just fun. We use them in some premier deer units that we've drawn or, or for, for bow hunting. But guess what? All the deer we caught on the cameras, we tagged out. Me and Brian, were we tagged out on deer all those years. But guess what? We didn't shoot one that was on our game cameras. We didn't shoot one. I never saw any of them. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where it. they went, you know. I, I, I agree with you on that because, like, the we run a lot of cameras. <laughs> we, yeah. we just do. But most of it, to be honest with you, is to see who made it through, uh, to see if they do come back and what they're going to look like this upcoming season. Uh, I can count on one hand how many bulls we keep track of uh -huh. uh, from – you know, camera season till the actual hunting season. Cause a lot of the bulls that we hunt move a long ways from winter to rut country. We're switching, they're switching units. Um, yeah, so we yeah. set them up early and 
because they, they like to winter generally in the same area and we just make sure that they're still alive and then we can watch the progress of velvet grow and, and see how big they're going to be and, and just kind of keeps us informed as uh, and it's good instagram fodder obviously yeah that's uh, for fun <laughs> that's what i tell people like um a lot of people follow just to see the game camera stuff up and i tell people you know if you're not into hunting that's fine I, no one's trying to pressure anybody but um if you want to get out and just not do the whole city life I tell people, get into game cameras and find a, an interesting place to hang it up and, and see what you catch on it for fun. You know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice hobby pastime while you're, if you just want to do yeah, it. Or for summers. hunters that just don't know what to do during the summer, they're like, yeah, it's kind of boring, it's hot. Yeah, get up in the mountains, walk around and try a, a, a pinch point or whatever you think might show some cool things that you just might not see normally, you know. Yeah, and abs- I, you know when you hear the argument, well, you're bumping game all over the place. Well, oh. <laughs> you know it's not like you're going in every day checking the camera. And when you do go in, you're going in at a time of day uh, generally where the the elk are are not even near where the camera's set up. Wow. Uh, yeah. So if you do it right, you're not, you know, riding a motorcycle or a quad through the forest, uh, and you're just going <laughs> in a foot, you're you know you're not gonna you're not gonna tip an elk over from a heart attack because you bumped him. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, not yeah. gonna happen. No, but. Uh, yeah, uh, it's funny you say because we were this area that we drew for bow hunting. We were it's a long hunt. It's like twenty four days, December first to the twenty fourth. And um, I did set up a camera hiking into this uh, one spot that we always see deer at, and um, blew out some deer because it just it just didn't work. We landed up blowing some some nice bucks out. And I was like, well, I'm here, and I plan up. This is after we already stayed up there for like seven days, and the wives are are getting a little upset, so. I was like, well, I'm going to come up here in five days. So we'll see what, what happens back in here after five days. So I put up a camera and we'd woke up really early that morning. My friend shot, Brian shot a, an, I don't know, shot a deer that morning on process. And so we we're pretty exhausted. So I set up this camera. He's already passed out on this tree on the edge of a meadow. Cause it's kind of like that, supposedly that time, you know, we're told that we learned that deer aren't hanging around. <laughs> so I set up right. the camera, I go lay down pass off for a good two hours we wake up don't see nothing no we go off and i ended up shooting a buck that that evening but it was a totally different part of the unit and um that camera sat there for a month and i was like yeah, i gotta go get it because it was just meant for scouting you know and i wanted to get it out and i grabbed it and um it was funny i i set up that camera and i remember what time i said because i have a picture my buddy sent me of me sleeping, passed out, you know. <laughs> so it has a timestamp on it. You know how it works. You look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, I was like at 4 or 3 in the afternoon. And I set the camera up 10 minutes before that, and 5 o'clock, there's deer. There's bucks hanging out right in front of it. For and sure. And we're passed out 200 yards away and had no clue. <laughs> so, like I said, I don't, we're not, you're, you're not, you might blow them out for a second, but they'll come right back if they really want to be in that area. You know. Right, and unless you're shooting at them or, or wounding them or, or whatnot, you know, generally they're going to come back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, this past season, did you uh, take part of the? Uh, oh, There's a big bull shot over in Arizona. Uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I was in New Mexico. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, I, I didn't take along on that deal. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. That, that's because for Villa, you have you guys guide here and in Arizona, so. But yep. So there's A3, uh, A3 Trophy Hunts, uh, which handles the Arizona side. And then there's A3 Trophy Hunts New Mexico, which is what I do. Gotcha. Yeah. Just so people are clear on that. 
Um, but you do, yeah, you kind of have like a split company on both sides of the, the border there. Which is yes, sir. Cool. Um, on that hunt though, because he looks like he's, um, I know this is a rifle hunt, but he looks like he's barely stripped, maybe because he's a big bull. But do they, in Arizona, do they have earlier rifle hunts? So if you're talking about the, the bull that was killed by Jimmy John. Yeah, um, Jimmy John. That was the auction bull. And oh, you get to start okay. Because 15. Yeah, so you're right yeah uh Makes he sense. had just stripped his velvet like a day or two before they shot him <laughs> i'm not sure that's good or bad I and mean, he's doing right, so it's a bull of a, a lifetime but i'm not sure if i'd want it all velvetied up or stripped all the way down and brown you know but definitely a, a pretty interesting bull have you had a has anyone ever has anybody hit you up when they draw that uh um now that they of course it's only one tag but when they I guess I'll call it the governor's tag here in New Mexico and actually make it a draw now, which is kind of cool. Has anybody approached you guys with that tag yet? I did have one guy call me uh, saying that he drew it and he asked for a price and, you know, he wanted a 400 and I just don't listen. I want a 400 too, uh, but there's a lot that goes into to getting one of those killed in New Mexico. I mean, anywhere. Oh, no. But, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like it's, and it's good for them, but it's it's more of the general hunters that may not be able to afford the auction type stuff, you know, like compared to the guys that, that bid on it with yeah. an intent to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on the tag. Uh, so, you know, if somebody did approach me, I would do whatever I could to help them out. But, you know, obviously I'm in it for a business and, and I don't want to be taking guys out to some of my, my favorite spots just to, you know, help them kill a, a a big bull and then now have them know where i like to hunt you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, a, it, for free <laughs> if you drew that tag um obviously you get a long time to hunt um would you prefer to do it in the early september or as late late as you possibly can or it just depends on what you're seeing and when you finally locate what you're looking for you know, I think it's got pros and cons, and you know that's another thing for residents. They're the only ones that can draw that tag because yeah. uh, there's only one available. But you know, if you can, if you have the time to scout, and you've got a big bull located, and you're watching him the end of August, and he's already finished out, he's done, and he's, he's stripped, so he's going to be hard horned. Uh, come September first, if you're sitting on him, that's probably the best time to get him killed. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you could go out there with a gun during the peak of the rut. You, you darn sure could. Um, be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and chances gone. are he's probably been bumped or he's moved. Uh, yeah, yeah. You could luck into him, but uh, you know, then you wait till the later uh, side of season when you know they're bachelored up again and they're in a wearing country and they're not going anywhere. Uh, but then you're looking at possible, possibly having him broke up. Broken you know, up, yeah. I didn't think about that part too. Yeah, it could be broken up. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> you watch yep. him all year and then you find him in yep. December and he's busted half up. <laughs> that happens back a lot. Square one. Oh yeah, I'm sure it does. Sure it does. Um, well, I I think we hit on that bill pretty good. If we want to, I don't know if you know their names offhand, because I do want people to hear their names. I keep um, posting up and saying, "Hey, hit these guys up." I know I already have. Uh, see, see, they're both out of Las Cruces, the uh, the senators that are trying to push this uh, bill three twelve, and. For people that are listening, the first person that needs to be called is, his name's Jeff um, Steinborn. Is that how you say his last name? That's, the, to my knowledge, that's how you yeah, say Jeff his Jeff Steinborn. 
And he's District 36, for people that are listening. And his capital... It's funny, he doesn't have an office phone number on his site, but he has a capital phone number, which is 505-397-8852. If you look him up, or his email um, on his... You can find that. You can email him and let him know what you think about it. And then the other senator, which is Nathan Small, out of District 36, um, you can contact him at 575-496-9540. And this is all public information, so no one can get mad. These guys took on this role, so let them know uh, what you think. Either way, um, it could be good, it could be bad, or it could be for or against it. But I imagine most people are against it. They have their emails listed on there. These are all on New Mexico Legislature web pages. Their web page, so you can find all these reps, and you can... Email them, which I highly suggest doing. And not just doing that, um, for me too, I also looked up, because I live in Albuquerque, so I looked up who my local senator is, which is Katie, I can't pronounce her, her last name, I feel bad. But she's District 10, that's the district that I live in. And I made sure I called her, and I even emailed her on top of that. Because people don't realize, not just you, you can't just email the two people that sponsor the bill. You have to find out where you live, who's your senator, and make sure they're aware of the bill, and this is how your feelings are. So that way, ham forbid, if it makes it that far, that these guys can ask these questions to, the, to, these, to this bill, and you know they can ratify it, they can water it down, or they can just shoot it down totally. But people need to understand how that whole system works. And you can follow the bill. Um, I don't have the webpage on site, but you can follow these bills all you got to do is type in on your phone, New Mexico State Legislator page, and you can type in SB312, and there's actually a bill follower. You can just follow the bill and see exactly where it's at and what's happened to it. So I highly suggest people do that. And then I know both those senators that I mentioned, Jeff Steinborn and um, uh, the other one, Nathan Small, do have Facebook. So I tell, I've been telling everyone, hit them up on Facebook and message them. Let them know. So that way they know that, that they're being watched and this bill is being watched because it's it is a big deal. You know, not not just from the outfitters. We need to help help out each other and it affects local people. Um, like Ryan said, you know, you're gonna have to buy a permit to pick up a shed, you can't even pick up a rib. Um, they're gonna change the name of game Mexico Game Fish to this wildlife conservation department, which what does that mean? I mean, I'm sure Ryan can speculate and I can speculate on what that means. It's gonna change their me personally, I feel like it'll change what their goal is as a as a department. You know, um, I'm sure it'll lean way more towards uh, putting more restrictions on on us hunters out there that are just trying to trying to get a license and, and hunt. You know, I'm sure Ryan has his speculations. If he wants to say them, he can go ahead. <laughs> I think we already had kind of talked about your speculations about the name change. Yeah, I just. I just kind of feel like it's opening Pandora's box because once you change anything from Game and Fish or DNR or or whatnot to Wildlife Conservation yeah. Commission, you know it's it's scary because now you know the whole schematics of the the whole makeup of the the, the business or the corporation has changed from you know protecting you know hunters and rights of the hunters and and and, and wildlife. Now you're just slowly leaning to just protecting all the wildlife from the hunters. Yeah. And that's, what's got me concerned is just what they will be capable of doing. Once this does pass, it's just going to, you know, it's going to snowball. Well, yeah. Cause now you, 
you broaden this name and conservation, yeah, we're all for conservation, but what kind of conservation are we talking about? Are we talking like crazy environmental stuff that's way overreached and not has anything logistically behind it? Is it just personally driven or is it actually science behind it, which I would err on more of a personal environmental feelings about it when you start broadening the name of a, of a department. You know, I've seen name, name changes in other departments and it's, it's a smoke and mirrors thing and it's also to try to blanket other stuff to cover underneath that department. So there's an agenda for sure. There, there's, yeah. yeah, there's an agenda. And, and it's not just hunting. I mean, it's going to be fishing. It's not, yeah. it's hunting and fishing. Yeah, hunting so, and fishing. That's, it encompasses both uh, hunting and fishing. And who knows, maybe more beyond that, you know, maybe they'll start charging people just to even enter the Forest Service, to even hike around. Like you have to have a hiker's permit to even go walk around the Forest Service or ride your mountain bike on designated mountain bike trails. And you now have to have a permit to even drive your four-wheeler on Forest Service roads and so on. Where does it stop? And that's where people need to understand is where does it stop? Because once they start reaching in, they'll just keep on and keep on and adding and adding and adding. And it only hurts, it hurts everybody is what it boils down to. It hurts everyone. Um, makes things not as fun and then costs you more money. <laughs> and for sure. Especially in this time, <laughs> this time, what a time to, to, for these people to do this kind of things because people are hurting in general for money and we don't need to make things worse for people out there, you know. Or not we, I should, the legislators of, any state or even state of Mexico don't need to make things worse than it already is. You know, you don't want to, you're trying to attract people. You don't want to push people away from, uh, I'm sure Ryan knows we're a state that heavily depends on tourism. And like you said, the hunters that come in from out of state, they don't just come here to hunt. They, they, they do tourism type stuff while they're here. They're, they're here. They go, Oh, let's go to Santa Fe. Let's go fishing like i said they'll buy fishing licenses and fish during the downtime in the middle of the day or whatever you know it's not making a mini vacation yeah it's It's a mini vacation vacation. so they they do a lot more than that they visit the state parks and the national parks which is still money that goes to the local because people are employed and live local you know so it's it's a big deal it is and you know i think if you can reach out you know whether it's an email or a phone call anything's going to help but i mean it's it's strategic they're doing it now i mean right now all the legislators you know they're being bombarded with hundreds of not thousands of emails regarding different bills and yeah and this is you know during a pandemic so i, I Which think is worse i, I yeah, think that, well it makes it worse for us because <laughs> yeah. we can't just go up there and say hey this is what i think because they're not going to list there and this is you know i didn't mean to interrupt ryan but i my my theory is I think they throw in a lot of extra stuff because, hey, who's going to be there to argue this stuff? Right. You can't show right. up to the Capitol. You can't do this. you got to do a Zoom thing. And good luck on getting on if you can get onto this public Zoom the way they're doing it. Um, Plus, you're focused on trying to you know survive this pandemic and keep your small business open. you got other yeah. things to worry about, whether SB312 passes or not. Um, so... I mean, there's a lot of different ways a guy can look at this, but I just feel like it's it's probably not going to benefit the hunting industry, uh, whether you're a resident or a non-resident. And, and I, you know, I have to say that I'm all for being a resident of other states wanting more tags. I get it. But you also have to stand back and look at the big picture. It's just not about drawing a tag. It's about the future of the industry. Yeah, well said. And then on top of that, we also have to remember 
myself too, because I don't draw tags all the time, is that you know that we have to understand too that the herds can't sustain everyone drawing a tag. If everyone drew a tag, there wouldn't be anything to hunt. So people have to remember remember that too. It's not just yeah they're they're not they can only allocate so much without destroying the herds. So people just you know it's luck of the draw. It happens to all of us, and it's just part of it. And it's not just our state. I'm sure Ryan knows because he has business going on in Arizona. It's every Western state. It's luck of the draw. And that's just the way it goes. Or because if everyone drew, we wouldn't have game to hunt. <laughs> so we have to memorize or we have to remember that and humble ourselves yeah. every now and then, you know? Absolutely. So. All right, Ryan, I'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. And, uh, I think we hit everything that, that people need to do to try to get their voice heard. And, um, try to on my social media i'll make sure that people are updated on, i'm going to keep an ear on this thing big time and i think i'm kind of i was trying to close it up but i got distracted and i'm a resident of mexico i didn't even hear about this bill until ryan made it aware to me or no it was kind of it was funny it was a twofold thing i saw a local up in he lives in pecos in mexico and he is uh he buys uh antler you know he's he buys what you find and I saw him post it up and I was like, what? So I started looking up the bill. And then at the same time, you, Ryan, I saw you had messaged me about the podcast. And I was like, it, it just happened right at the same time. I don't know if people started catching on to it and started reading through this stuff, you know, finally. Well, I was actually, I'm sorry. No, go um, I was actually surprised. You know, I reached out to a few different folks in the industry. And uh-huh. well, I don't know what the big deal is here. And, and I think, you know, it, it's just a matter of people diving into it a little bit other than just looking at it and say, Oh, there's a bill. There's another bill. Oh, what's this one? You know, this one's got some, this one's got some, some, some stuff behind it. So, um, I just want my goal is just try to get everybody educated on it and, and get the word out to as many people as possible, whether they agree or disagree, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but, uh, I just want as many people to know about it as possible. Yeah. Same here. Same here. And what's interesting is what it got me distracted. Well, one, I didn't know about the bill. They said, you know, um, if people know New Mexico, they rotate every other year. So one year they'll have a 30-day session, and then one the other year they'll have a 60-day session. And that's when they dump in all the stuff in these 60-day sessions because they have more time. They usually don't in a 30-day because they, 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 they have to focus on the more important stuff. And then on the 60 days, that's when they go in there and they try to do their little pet projects. And I just, like I said, there's so many bills. How do, can you keep track of it? And then... I'm sitting here watching the whole thing over in Utah. What's going to happen there? Because what happens in another state, guess what? It's going to happen in our state. If they do it for in sure. another state, it'll happen here. Like they're already, like I said, they're already charging for to look for sheds, a permit in Nevada, I know. And I know um, Colorado, they might be doing it in Utah. I'm not positive. But the writing's on the walls, guys. And yes. we, we, already, we already work hard. And I just don't think the state needs to to start nitpick every little piece of thing that we do because it, it adds up. It adds up. Just like the whole, I'm sure you saw the thing on social media where it's going up on how much you pay for Netflix and Prime and everything oh, else. Yeah. <laughs> and you start seeing your bill and you're like, holy smokes, man, that's a big bill. Yeah. <laughs> it's the yep. same thing with the hunting industry. Yeah, they tag on $5 to your habitat stamp. They tag on an extra $3 over here, $2 here, two poles for fishing this and this and that, and all of a sudden, now you're coming out, and you're all of a sudden down, you know, down the road, you know, who, where, where does it end? Thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, depending on how size your family is. It's now it starts to take a hit on, on how much, you know, it, it's just, 
it's supposed to be a pass and they're supposed to be encouraging you to go out and do this, but now they're making it hard. And not only that, I'm sure, right, I was thinking about this this morning, you start pushing things underground. The whole uh, shed hunting thing, if you make it illegal until you make it a permit and then say you put a, um, like they do in Colorado, a shed season, you can only start looking at it from here to here. All you do is you push it underground and people are still going to go do it. I'm not saying a lot, but there's going to be enough that are going to go do it anyways. Oh, it just keeps the honest, honest. That's all it's going to do. In Utah, they did it where there was a season, you know, and people were going in ahead of the season and stashing horns uh, until the the shotgun start, you know, and then it turned into a zoo because now you got everybody on the planet out there when it opens and now the animals are getting pushed around. Now they're getting bumped out. Yeah, so many people out there. (laughs) Yeah, versus like us where it's just, you know, it's just, it was a pastime. You could go in the middle of the winter if you could find a spot and go, yeah, let's try it or during yep. the summer or whatever you want to do. And like I said, that, that's a good point. You know, now you, you don't, now you have a rush of people hitting the, hitting the hills and you will be pushing, guaranteed they'll start bumping herds all over the place and doing exactly what you were trying to not do. <laughs> and they found out it didn't work. If I'm not mistaken, Utah doesn't have that anymore because oh, okay. uh, it just didn't work. And I just don't know if you can do that well, uh, and, and keep it up, keep everybody honest. Yeah. You had guys in Nevada going, okay, I'm not shed hunting. I'm just, Walking around, you know. Yep, nature hike. Nature hike, and there was no law against it. You know, you can go out there and walk around, and you start dropping marks of GPSs where the sheds are at, and then you just pick them up the next day. So what what did they really do? What, you did nothing. You just, like I said, you, you cause honest people to be honest, and the black market just gets bigger, you know. For sure. And by making something totally illegal, and it's, and it's totally ridiculous. Like, I can't, like... I was telling you earlier in the podcast, my son loves the, even if I don't find a shed, I'll find something dead that's been dead forever. You know, a skull half or a skull or teeth or something. I'll pull the teeth out because he likes it. And my little girl likes it. And even if she's not in the hunting, she, sell, she looks at it and, and like I said, they get out the magnifying glass and they're looking at it and they ask questions. And then you give a small little, you know, what are you really accomplishing by saying that you can't pull out, it's illegal to pick up any portion of the animal. You know, I think that's just, I don't know. We have... In, in our society right now, I think we have way bigger fish to fry than worrying about someone picking up a, an old skull out there uh, or a piece of jawbone or a knee or a femur out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, with, yep. you know, without getting too political, you know, crime and uh, Albuquerque is out of control, you know, schools. <laughs> and to me, out of all the things that they're worried about, I'm like, this is what you're worried about. And it's like, that is, to me, is just insane especially with what's going on in our country right now with the pandemic, you know, when it comes to economics, you know, people that want to get vaccinated, can't get vaccinated. I won't go too far into it, but just um, the restaurants, the small business getting schools open and, and you're, and this is what they're worried about. <laughs> changing of a name, like I said, changing of a name sounds simple, but no, they got to go in there and change it on the websites, on the trucks, on their, now you have an, or new uniforms. They're going to cost millions of dollars up front. And where's that money come from? It comes from us, the taxpayers. <laughs> they're, they're not sure. paying for it. <laughs> so, well, cool, and, you know, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, this was brought to my attention mm-hmm. when it first came out by, you know, the New Mexico Council of Guides and Outfitters. There's a pretty good group of guys and gals over there that fight for, for our rights, not just as outfitters and guides, but, you know, they're doing it for hunters. And, you know, this is this is not just an outfitter deal. This is for, yeah, exactly. you know, hunters in general. So, yeah. uh, you know, there are people that are pushing and, and fighting back. It, it may be a, a, 
a small you know minority of folks that are actually doing it but there are people fighting the good fight if you look at it as a good fight yeah uh, but i think all in all it's it's just even if it if it doesn't pass i think in the long run it's gonna it's gonna benefit residents alike if this yes. thing doesn't yeah it doesn't pass it will show that you know our voices got heard and we can you, you, people we can make changes you know i i know i've i've i work for a government entity, the fire department. I work. I just retired recently, but you know, in our the fire department, we were you know when we saw something that needed to be changed and we made our voice heard. We got it changed. It does work. It does work. You can't. Um, before I, I thought my voice didn't count, but when you get out there and start hammering and hammering it, it it adds up and it does actually change stuff, and they stop things from happening uh, for the good most of the time. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Ryan, it was good to catch up, and I hope I, um, everybody listen and those names we threw out, make sure you contact them, and whatever your opinion is, just let them know what it is, so that way they know that they're being watched and you're watching this stuff, and, and um, yeah, we'll leave it at that for now. So I uh, appreciate it, Ryan, that uh, got a chance to do this real quick. We kind of rushed it, but it had to be rushed because these things move fast sometimes, so... Yes, sir. I do appreciate you having me on, Eric. No problem. And you are on the Game Trail Podcast.